Hello, and welcome to yet another episode of Tales from the Butt. Tonight we bring you... Three Tales of Terror. Each one a slightly different flavor of fear. Join us for the first episode as you'll witness the unexpected finds of adventurers' thirst for treasure. So sit back, relax, and enjoy... The Dog Days. This story is called The Dog Days, co-written by Dr. Hayes and Corey Dawson. Another day, another hot, sweaty day in my boring ghost town of a neighborhood. Summer really amps up the sticky waves, mosquito-ridden bog wash to leave you riddled with itchy red bumps. On top of it all, I'm lonely. Dad's always working on the farm and something's wrong with mom. Don't get me wrong, she's awesome, but I think she's feeling it too. The lonesome, that is. She just seems so sad lately. I really need to get out of this house and roam my humble ghost home. Last year I found the coolest bike in the middle of the woods. The frame was a bit rusty, but after I put some oil on the chain, she was mobile. That's, that's it. I'll head out today on a treasure hunt. Just pumping against the gears and feeling the wind on my face was enough to get me back into the world. I decided to take Patton Valley so I could try to catch Old Starch in the act. Every summer, he would take a shovel to a different part of his property, looking for an old footlocker he buried when he brought his wife home. She was eight years dead now, and had inadvertently papered the parakeet's cage with the map. Apparently, Dalmerly Starchfern took an early crawl against waste, and had drawn up his trail on a full-page ad in the Bramble Post Tribune, then folded it up under the fly-tying mirror in his workshop. The name of the paper is longer than the town, his wife used to say looking over the ads for the latest fashion foldouts. Word was he had shot anything on the wing ever since he could stretch his arm from the stock to the trigger. And yet, hated fuddy-duddy most of all. Every time he would pass by the ordinate brass cage, he would try to rake his lunchbox against the bars, or honk into his rag, frightening the little bird into spasmodic pacing. Mom would come home from the Starchfers after a game of bridge and say, I would never lay a bet, but in front of God, I say Delmer's going to wring one of their necks before it's all over. Dad would just clear his throat and look over his glasses, waiting for the punchline. This and that and the other, you know what he says? He says, nothing ever stays nailed down if a woman's under a roof, and if she's under the ground, he gives it a 50-50. That's when Dad would throw the Odyssey or this old hammer or Hugh Hefner's third memoir down and laugh his neck off. As I slipped down over Patton Valley Road, I could feel something wasn't quite right. My front tire began to feel heavy, and then everything around me was a blur. The muscles in my face bulged into a death mask. 
and all I could think of was the pavement sanding the cheeks off my jaw. My adrenaline was pumping and my hands were shredding clams to the point I could barely control or even grip the handlebars. As I start to lose control, I feel a hand grab the back of my jacket, yanking me off the speeding bike. It was Starch, and his face let me know that I have found the valley. Boy, what are you doing on my property? After his hand delivered heart attack, I counter with a quick reply. Just looking for my dog. You sure that's all you're looking for? Sure you weren't looking for something of mine? Of course not. I, I just wanted to pass through to get my dog, that's all. I could feel beads of sweat streaming down my forehead like a man-made waterfall as he penetrates me with his cold stare. You don't have to pass through to find your dog. What? I almost choke on my question. What is this crazy guy getting at? I don't have a dog. I better play it cool before I leave with a shovel in my spine. Yeah, that beast got in my cellar and is making a mess in there as we speak. Get that beast out of there and never make a step on my property again unless you want to see my bear trap collection. I start walking to the cellar grudgingly. This is some kind of trick. It's It's gotta be. Starch is gonna bury me just like his loot. The cellar was just the door in the ground and, and I thought I would hear something from behind it, but I didn't. All I could hear was the buckshot sound of Starch shaking candy in his mouth. Red hots, I thought. The last thing I'll smell before I die. Denim legs, shuffling at my heels. Crows arguing on a post fence and a metallic dragging sound over the grass like a, like a comb through the hair of God. I came to a halt abruptly. My toes stopped by the stone rim of the cellar. Open up, he said. He cracked me in the ankle with a shovel handle. Open her up! I leaned over to grasp the handle and gave a quick look over my shoulder. Starch held the shovel in both hands like walking a tightrope and tipped his chin up angrily. I raised the door and stepped down carefully, scraping my heel on each board into, into the darkness. For shit's own sake, old Starch said. Out of my way! He brushed past me roughly and rattled a matchbox in my face. Past a bending trapezoid of light near the stairs, the black chamber seemed to stretch out forever. I was turning on one heel, a hair's breadth away from taking the steps two at a time when I heard something thunk the wall ahead in short, wheezing cry. What the hell was that? I yelled in panic, certain I was minutes away from hanging from a meat hook. Look, sir, I, I just want to go home. I, I won't say anything. I'm just a kid, please. I could only faintly see his face through the flickering flame of the match. Call me, boy! Don't you recognize the sound of your own dog? At this point, I don't know if it was the humidity or sweat by my shirt was soaked. R right. Here, boy. Come on, let's, let's go home. Who was I even talking to? I... Is it even a dog or some corn-fed hillbilly named Jed? Does he got a name, kid? He prods at me with the blade of his shovel. Of course he does. Hey, Jed. Come here, Jed. I could feel the disbelief filling in starch. Jed, huh? I start kneeling down and clapping my hands. 
Come on, Jed. Don't, don't be afraid. I hear foot tappings. To my relief, this was no man. But the idea of some animal mauling me brought me no additional relief. The tapping came closer and faster till I'm slammed on my back, slathered in dog kisses. Well, isn't that cute? The old man laughs. He's your dog, all right. Now get out and take that flea bag with you. I scramble to my feet and make my way back up and head back to the trail home. I didn't get the treasure I wanted, but I got this unexpected gift and get to live. Jed trailed along with me even after I decided to jump on my bike to pick up the pace. I shouldn't be too shocked. The poor dog was probably abused in that man's cellar. He was patchy and riddled with scars. What a weird way to get rid of your pet. I know I'm approaching the house when I'm practically lifted by the comforting smell of dinner. <sighs> I tie Jed's collar to a tree with water and some food while I finish off some promised chores while I wait on dinner. I lose track of time after I finish up with my errands in the shed to the point I didn't notice it was already getting pretty dark outside. I'm surprised no one was worried about me not showing up for biscuits and gravy or to ask about the new member of the family. As I go to get Jed, I'm stunned by what I saw. Jed bit through the rope. Poor guy must have wanted seconds. Jed? No response. I make my way to the front, and the door is destroyed. Bits of the screen and chunks of wood are scattered all over the front patio. Jed? No response. I hesitantly head inside and I slip on the floor. What the? It's blood! The trail led to the kitchen. I make my way inside with sheer panic. Mom? Are you- Oh, oh, oh god, oh god! She's laying lifeless on the ground in Jed. He didn't look like Jed anymore. He was huge. Freakishly long, muscular legs with long, gnarled claws. Its hideously monstrous jaws had layers of crooked, sharp teeth that looked like a drawer of poorly organized kitchen knives. It was gnawing and chewing on her entrails. I run in panic towards my room, hearing the heavy trampling thrashes behind me gaining speed. As soon as I make it to the room, I slam the door. The creature smashed into the door at full speed, followed by a storm of vicious thudding sounds. I think my dad saw him, but only for a moment because I heard a gunshot and pulled the beast's attention from my door, silencing my dad forever. I try to pull the window up for an escape, but it's jammed. Fuck. Jed's back, and he's pounding and striking the door even more fierce than last time. I could hear pieces of wood hitting the ground. With little time to think, I sling my desk chair into the window, sending glass shard into my eyes. Everything went black, and the pain made me nauseous and weak, but I managed to fall out of the window. As I hit the ground, I start crawling. I didn't know where to go, but I didn't want to suffer the same fate as my parents, so I push on until I fill the shed. It has a small crawlspace underneath that I managed to squeeze under. I hear the fearsome creature make its way closer. 
I'm sure it picked up on some of the cuts I picked up from all the glass or it could simply smell me. I'm sitting in a panic as I feel a slice at my leg. It found me. I pushed as far back as I could to minimize the scratches. It may have been minutes, but it might as well have been forever that this monster pursued me before finally running off. I don't know what got its attention, but I'm just glad it left me alone. Soon, relief sets in and I black out from the pain. I wake up to the strangest thing aside from still being alive. I could see again. And not only that, but all of my wounds have healed. Not a scratch on me, in fact. I needed answers that only Starch could answer. He had the dog that chewed into my family and almost made a meal of me with them. He was my way into this nightmare and he'll be my way out. I grab my bike and bolt towards the hermit's house. As I make it a few blocks down the trail, I swear I can hear Jed in the woods trailing me from the distant twigs and vines. This moment of distraction leaves me open to a raised tree root that sends me flying off my bike. My leg looks broken. I can see part of the bone protruding from the wound. To my horror, the bone started moving and snapping in place before the wound healed right before my eyes. I was fine though the bike chain snapped. I had to make my way on foot. I make it to the property after hours of walking. The old man's house looks a lot scarier in the dark. I knock on the door before falling to the ground in uncontrollable convulsions. I felt like I was having a seizure. The old man comes outside and aims his buckshot at me with no questions asked. You shouldn't have come back here, boy. The old man snarled as he pumps his shotgun for a lethal blow. My body felt like it was ripping apart from the inside before everything became unbearable. My fingernails started cracking and falling off as new pairs of claws replaced them. I could feel my bones cracking and contorting to something else. No, Sarge. You should have stayed inside. My transformation completes as my jaw grows to an impossible length, popping with razor-sharp fangs. Starch tries to close the door before it's intercepted by my wretched claws. I start to lose control completely, and everything starts to go black, but not before seeing the satisfying fear and uncertainty in his eyes. What a story. Nothing gets my munchies going like revenge served werewolf. Now listeners beware, for this story reflects on the fear we have of things that hide within us. Make sure to grab your favorite bowl of noodles while you enjoy. There's something in my lung. Liz went away on a work trip, and I had the house to myself. So I thought I'd get some weed and stay up late getting wrecked with my mate Dave. Since I got married, I can count on one hand the number of times I've been stoned. Dave put me in touch with his dealer. Nice chap. Very grown up and middle class. 
We talked music and politics, both of which we mostly agreed on. He had a few varieties on offer, and let me have a sniff of each. I'm no expert, so I just asked him what she'd recommend. He said I should probably go for the White Widow, but he mentioned offhand that he had some extra special good shit. It was expensive though, he told me. Of course, like a sucker, I asked him how much. Double. That's how much. Maybe I was an easy mark, but of course, I had to know what was so great about this stuff. He smiled and said that shit gets you super high. A really nice, spacey high. You won't even have to watch telly. Sure, he could have been trying to rip me off. But that just wasn't this guy's vibe anyway. Dave had vouched for him. It's not like I'm some student scraping by on the summer job. I'm 41 years old. And I earn a pretty good salary. And this was a once in a blue moon opportunity to get super off my tits. So I humored him and said, yeah, I'll take a look at it. So he went and fetched this stainless steel case. This, he said, is mongoose. If I'm honest, I couldn't really tell the difference. It looked and smelled more or less the same as other weeds. As far as I could see, it was just in a fancy box. He pointed out the density of the crystals, the strange pinkish hue in the center of the buds. But I only had the vaguest sense that these were probably good things. Without any idea why. Trust me. He said. It's worth it. About three hours after Liz walked out the door, Dave showed up. He looked at the weed and snorted. You've been had, mate. He admitted that he hadn't seen anything quite like it before, but insisted no weed's worth that much. Still, he was eager enough to try it out. Dave lit the first joint, and a pinkish sap bubbled around the charred end. He raised his eyebrows and said, Cool. I must have lost my tolerance because I was destroyed after three drags. While Dave sat there happily puffing away, chatting all sorts of bullshit, I started to phase in and out. I remember feeling like I was floating through space, speeding past planets and stars, intermittently phasing back into Dave's big red face guffawing away at his own jokes. The hallucinogenic episodes were far from comforting. It was cold, like I was actually flying through space. I mean, I'm sure space is much colder than that. But it made the whole thing feel really real. The next thing I remember is waking up on the couch with daylight streaming through the window and Dave nowhere to be seen. I felt like crap. More like I'd been drinking than smoking. I never had any kind of hangover off weed before. I must be getting old, I thought. My head was pounding, my limbs were stiff and achy. My lungs felt burnt, and there was a horrible charred taste in my throat. I mean, I smoked about 20 cigarettes a day. Sometimes my lungs let me know I've been abusing them especially in the mornings, but this, uh, this was way worse. It put me off smoking until late afternoon when I got nicotine jitters. I went out to the garden and lit up, and even though it was a little tender, the first lungful going down was so good. But by about halfway through the cigarette, I was coughing so hard I was bent double, 
As a middle-aged smoker, I was well used to hacking up chunks, so it was only when the cigarette fell out of my shaking fingers that I figured out maybe something was wrong. I went into the bathroom and leaned over the sink. I was coughing compulsively so hard that I thought I was going to tear my throat. It felt like something was stuck in there. I wheezed and choked and thumped my chest with the flat of my fist, trying to shake it loose and bring it up. After a good five minutes, a massive wad of bright green phlegm flew out of my throat and splatted against the back of the sink. It stuck to the porcelain like a lump of green, brown, chewing gum. I'd been lying if I said I wasn't grossed out when I dislodged it with shaky fingers so that I could wash it down the plug hole. Only when I did, I saw something that turned me cold from my head to my feet. The tangle of green gunk filmed in transparent saliva had a seam of bright red running through it. There was no mistaking it. The uber loogie was full of blood. I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but there is pretty much nothing more terrifying than seeing your blood in your own phlegm, and especially in such quantities. The rest of the weed went straight in the bin. I didn't smoke for the rest of the day, or the day after that. Just thinking about it turned my stomach. The rest of my coveted me time while Liz was away was spent on the couch with my phone, googling blood and phlegm. The horrible possibilities. Lung cancer, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, emphysema, chronic bronchitis. I tried to reassure myself that there were less catastrophic causes. I'd been coughing a lot. The blood could have just been from my throat. Maybe I had picked up a chest infection. These things were far more likely than the horror stories. But when you're past 40 and you're a heavy smoker, you're edging into high-risk territory. And all the stuff that's unlikely becomes distinctly possible. By the time Liz came home, I had quit smoking. I had made my mind up. I was done. That was it for me. I wasn't going to so much as look at another cigarette for the rest of my life. As much as I mourn losing my favorite hobby, I was glad to be free of it. At the last minute, I had pulled my head out from under the guillotine. I went cold turkey. It was unpleasant, but whenever I thought about smoking, I pictured that bloody wad of phlegm, and it was enough to blow even the worst cravings to smithereens. Needless to say, Liz was over the moon. I didn't speak to Dave for the next couple of weeks. I was worried that seeing him might tempt me, or at least for an uncomfortable evening of jittery cravings. The last thing I heard from him was the day after our last session. He texted. Man, that shit was hardcore. I'd reply, yeah. And that was pretty much it. I quit smoking. Liz was happy. My friends and family and work colleagues all commented on how I smelled better. I looked healthier. There was more color in my skin. I went on to live a happier, healthier life, and that was the end of it. Except, it wasn't. Three weeks later, in the middle of the night, I was coughing so hard it woke Liz up, and she could sleep through a plane crashing through a bedroom wall. 
She asked if I was okay, and I managed to say I was fine without sounding like I was dying and went downstairs. This time, what I coughed up into the sink was mostly blood. It had some solidity to it, some mass of tissue. But whether it was a clot of blood or phlegm covered in the stuff, it was all red. There wasn't even a trace of green mucus. I properly shat myself. If you've seen that film, Ivan's XTC, when he coughs up a clump of blood onto the pillow, it was just like that. And a week later, he dies of lung cancer. Not a spoiler, by the way. That's how the movie starts. I didn't want to tell Liz, but I couldn't hide my face. I'd turn white. She told me to make an appointment with a doctor. I'd been meaning to get checked out to see if I'd escaped high-risk bracket without some tumorous passenger coming along with me. But I just wanted to pull it all out of my mind. And I felt fine. Better than ever. Until now. Normally, you have to wait a couple of weeks for an appointment with the GP. I live in the UK where we have the NHS. No idea what it's like in other countries, but when said I've been coughing up blood, they told me to come in as soon as I could for an emergency appointment. You know the feeling when you really hurt? Like, say if you break a bone or something and your body rings those shock alarm bells and you go cold from your head to your feet. I'd been feeling that way constantly. I was in a state of mortal terror. Considering, really considering, what I would do if these turned out to be the last few weeks of my life. I sat in the room waiting at the surgery, and this was all that I could think about. There was no escape from it. The doctor was really good. She smiled and nodded while she took my blood pressure and checked my pulse and reassured me that whilst coughing up blood can be frightening, there could be a whole host of other explanations. It could really all turn out to be nothing. Nevertheless, she referred me for a chest x-ray the following day. I sat in the waiting room of the walk x-ray center for an hour and a half the next morning, shivering all the while, my teeth chattering, looking round at the other people and wondering if they could see that there was something seriously wrong with me, wondering which of them had minor complaints and which of them might have only weeks to live. My name was called and I went into the x-ray room and a woman told me to give the machine a big hug and breathe in while she took a picture of my insides. She told me to call my doctor next week for the results. Strangely enough, as I walked out there, I started to feel normal again. Whether it was because I was doing something about it or just the idea that, hey, it might all turn out to be nothing or at least something less bad than it could be. I don't know, but I managed to go to work as normal the rest of the day, to have dinner with Liz and enjoy the conversation and the food. The surgery called the next morning. When was the earliest time I could come in? Immediately, it all came flooding back, the panic, the shaky hands, the thoughts of mortality, the cold feeling eerily reminiscent of those hallucinatory deep dives through space. I sat in the overheated waiting room with my thickest coat on, shivering. The doctor told me that there was a large mass in my left lung. She showed me a picture, a large white blob of negative image, which I couldn't quite convince myself was actually a photo of the inside of my body. I stopped feeling cold then. I went numb instead, my head 
padded with cotton wool, I nodded and responded with monosyllables while the doctor told me about referrals and biopsies and meeting with oncologists. And all I could think was, man, I want a cigarette. I know, I know. It was the stupidest thing I could do. It wasn't necessarily all over. There were treatment options, and there was radiotherapy, and chemotherapy, and maybe I could survive with one lung and live a relatively normal life, but I couldn't help it. I guess the way my brain was interpreting all of this was like, hey, nothing you can do now, but giving yourself the big C. You might as well enjoy what time you got left. As soon as I got out there, I didn't call the hospital or the specialist, or even Liz. I called Dave. I desperately wanted, no, needed, to get out of my buzzing head, and pronto. But Dave didn't pick up, the bastard. I was sure he'd get back to me sooner or later, but I was desperate. So I called his dealer, Sod's Law. He didn't pick up either. I chucked him a text. It turned into a mini-essay, spilling my guts about how it was essential that I medicated myself as soon as possible because I just couldn't handle the way this was making me feel right now. Anyways, I was sure he'd get back to me, unless I'd put him off with my melodrama. But for now, anyway, I was dry and I wasn't high. I regretted having thrown the rest of that super expensive weed in the bin. Surely it would have been sensible to keep it stashed away for a rainy day. With no narcotics, I did the next best thing. I bought a bottle of whiskey and a 20-pack of Marlboros and a lighter. And I went home and I sat in the lounge and I slugged from the bottle and I chain-smoked my way through the cigarettes. The room was thick with smoke. Fuck it. Liz would just have to live with it. I needed this. The first drag felt so good. I mean, the head rush was so hard it made my head swim and the smoke was rough on my throat after not having smoked in a few weeks. But it was still just about the best sensation I've ever felt. I started coughing almost immediately, but I wasn't going to let a little thing like cough put me off. By the fifth or sixth cigarette, my body was shaking and my chest was burning. I got a roll of kitchen roll to cough phlegm into, and pretty soon it was coming out bloody. But I'd already fucked myself, so it wasn't like things could get any worse. I was desensitized to the blood now. It didn't shock me anymore. All that mattered was the next cigarette, the next slug of whiskey. When I was about 15 cigs in, the coughing became so overpowering that I collapsed sideways on the couch. The lit cigarette fell from my trembling fingers and burned a hole in the carpet. I was spluttering blood. Fine red mist settled on the backs of my hands in tiny beads. When Liz came in and found me like that, the look on her face made me realize how stupid I'd been. She called an ambulance and helped me into the bathroom. I leaned over, hacking chunks of red shit into the sink. My knees shook and my arms juddered. Liz held me and cried into my neck, repeating one word over and over again. Stupid! 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 My throat burned and my chest ached with the effort of coughing. I just wanted it to be over, but I couldn't stop. And then I felt something big give way inside of me, and my legs buckled. There was something in there. Something had dislodged into the bottom of my pipes that was so big it was closing them off. 
I could hear the constricted air whistling in my throat. It didn't sound like it could be coming from me. It didn't even sound like a noise a human could make. I thumped at my chest and coughed harder still. Despite how much it hurt, the things inside me lurched. And now I couldn't breathe at all. The coughing barely made any sound, just a wet squelching as my esophagus convulsed. I looked up in the mirror and my eyes were weeping and cracked and there was blood all around my mouth, dripping off my swollen lips. My face was turning blue and no matter how hard I thumped at my chest, I couldn't dislodge that thing that was blocking it. I knew I was going to die. This was it. I was going to suffocate right here in my own bathroom. I couldn't bear to look at Liz's face. I shoved her off and she crumpled into a corner sobbing. And with one final effort, I let go with my arms and dropped my chest onto the edge of the sink with all my weight. There was a crack at my breastbone that hit the porcelain. I breathed in air. I opened my eyes. I was staring into the sink inches away from my face. There was a mass of tissue about the size of my fist. It looked like a ball of worms cocooned in bloody phlegm, and it was moving, writhing. The worms wriggled and stretched free of the sticky pink saliva, and underneath all the gore, they were shiny and black. They whipped and flexed as if searching for something. I had the same sense that this wasn't a collection of individual worms, but one organism. And as I stood there, transfixed my forehead on the ledge at the back of the sink, I could have sworn they were reaching towards my mouth. I had no strength left to resist. I was powerless to stop them forcing themselves between my lips. But thank God for Liz. She wrenched me away from the sink and she attacked the mass with the end of a toothbrush until it slithered down the plug hole. She told me later that she poured drain cleaner down every plug hole in the house, but I wasn't there to see that part. Shortly after the thing had been flushed, the ambulance arrived. I was rushed to the hospital by a bunch of business-like paramedics. As soon as I arrived, I was taken for an exploratory x-ray, and the mass that had appeared in my lungs before the tumor, it was gone. It was impossible, the doctor said. For someone to cough out their own tumor, and when I suggested that maybe it wasn't a tumor, they frowned and whispered to each other. I hadn't had a biopsy yet, so they hadn't had a chance to analyze the tissue. Over the following weeks, I was subjected to a host of tests, but they found nothing, and I was given a clean bill of health. My suggestion that it could have been an organism was met with barely muted amusement. There is no known parasite that could grow to that size in a person's lung, certainly not without being detected, and probably not without killing them. My best guess of what happened, I smoked it out. Neither Dave or his dealer ever got back to me. A month later, they found Dave floating in the local reservoir. They said it looked like he'd been hollowed out from the inside. I still don't smoke. I don't drink tap water either.
In our final episode this evening, we bring you into the nightmarish reality of an alternate dimension, spoken by one of the others. I hope you didn't forget your lighter because it's about to get dark and trippy within the Garden of Meat. I come out of a deep sleep just to feel immediate confusion and danger. I've opened my eyes to a nightmare. I can barely hear anything outside the red, thick, almost embryonic fluid I'm submerged in. I want to scream. But even if I try, I can't get a muffled cry past the fleshy tube that's most likely respirating me. My arms and legs feel like they've been soldered to this seemingly living prison in scar tissue. I try to twist and break out of this hold just to meet immediate pain. I feel like I'm connected to this thing on a molecular level. Skin, muscles, nerves, and veins all feel severely connected. This panic feels inescapable. Fear woven with different strands of fucked up, I start to hear what sounds like thuds. As they get closer, they start to sound less like feet and more like dumpsters crashing into the ground. Whatever it is, I'm sure it has no empathy towards helping me out of this fleshy cocoon and finding the exit. I want nothing to do with whatever is coming my way, so I start to twist and contort through the pain as much as my body can make these organic shackles give. It feels like my nerves are being struck by lightning, but I can't stop. It's getting closer. The closer I am to ripping my way free, the closer I am to going into shock. The dark ruby clouds of blood forming around my limbs make me feel nauseous and lightheaded. With a few more vicious tugs, I free one arm and tear the rest of what's left of my arms and legs. I use my fingers to pry open the membrane, sending all the fluid to the floor with a vicious splat. I pull the briny tube from my throat, followed by more foreign fluids released from my lungs, followed by horrendous heaving. 
I look at my gnarled arms and legs. The fluid seems to be reconstructing my gushing veins and wounds. Definitely explains how I didn't bleed out, but I had no time for my Aggie Band-Aid with that thing coming closer. I can vaguely make it out under the limited red lighting in this pulsating and breathing room. But what I can make out is enough to make me get up and run as fast as I can without slipping. It takes more effort than anticipated to gain full cooperation of my limbs. The phlegmatic liquid consumes my surroundings, trying to merge with my feet as they struggle to take steps. There is enough light in the room to make out my reflection in a puddle on the ground. Who am I? My voice is unfamiliar. I didn't recognize the man in the liquid. How long have I been here? Have I always been here? No family, no friends, no one to my memory to give me solace or objective. I'm alone in this, and it will be up to me to figure a way out of this. I don't understand any of this hell around me. Walls of red moving skin, flooded with veins and bony tendrils, Rivers of copper-smelling red water with pale, slithering creatures swimming in colonies through it. Everything had a pulse, a need to breathe. Everything was teeming with life. It all seemed to have purpose. Less like a colony, and more like the cells in a body. Everything had a job. What was mine? I felt minuscule on a plane more grand than I could ever imagine. I taste copper, infection, and death. Like a dirty butcher shop preparing a large order of meat. Hawking up the contents of my organic life essence brings no solace. There's a constant trickle running through my veins, like my blood is accompanied by something else. Whatever I'm walking through that is supposed to be ground moves constantly. It almost seems to mimic my own breathing. Yes, it definitely breathes with me. 
There's a rumbling ripping throughout the area that almost knocks me to the ground. What's left of my mortal mind screams to not fall. Knowledge from an unknown place of my altered soul tells me that if I do, I would fate myself to become one with my environment. I will be absorbed into it, reverting back to a primordial slush of red. I move forward with the mentality of a shark. If I stop, I die. The tunnels and rooms, each almost identical from the last. Each room still full of putrid, rotting smell, reeks of hot breath and rotting oysters. I push through to another room full of eggs to find that beast again. It was larger than I'd imagined. The hulking monster stands on what looks like large tendrils, infested tree trunks, lifting a giant massive gut, probably full of previous inhabitants. It lunges what appears to be hollow, bony spikes from the end of its arm into one of the eggs and appears to be sucking the embryo dry. In my horror, I dry heave, which pulls its eyes towards me. I feel like prey to an anglerfish. It has an impossible collection of eyes aimed at me, one large onyx orb in the middle surrounded by a formation of smaller black beads of eyes, and its mouth looks like it's completely replaced by scars. I guess it doesn't need it with its liquid diet. My trance is broken by the sound of the bony syringe leaving the dried egg and the painfully loud footsteps trampling towards me. This thing, this gorger, wants to suck me dry like a juice box. To get away, I baseball slide into an orifice the size of a drainage ditch. The gorger is too big to fit, but still tries to grab me with its large deformed hands. I push further down into the meaty canal before abruptly being sucked down. It's dry and hot. All I feel is the warm, clammy walls and prickly hairs itching and pulling me further down. I'm starting to wonder if I've pushed myself to a more painful death. Digestion. 
Before I get a chance to dwell, I'm hawked out like a loogie onto a pile of steaming waste. I see a light flickering from the tunnel ahead. It looks different from the red lighting filling this living nightmare. No, that's daylight, the sun. As I make my way closer, I see it, the exit. I make a full sprint for the opening. My speedy getaway is intercepted by the sharp, tight grip of the gorger, choke slamming me to the floor. I can already feel the floor fusing to my body. Something in me knew I couldn't allow this. Even death could be a better option, so I quickly act and start moving for a way out of its tight grip. Its vice is crushing my trachea, and to make it worse, I see it lifting its bony spike to deliver a fatal blow. I lift my forearm to block the strike to see the hollow spears penetrate to the other side, still pushing towards my face. The pain is unbearable, but in an act of desperation, I twist at the bone till I manage to snap off a piece. The gorger grumbles with this deep wailing sound that reminds me of an earthquake and a stomach ache all in one. I take the shard and stab it into the bulbous orb aimed at me. It finally releases its grip and starts aimlessly swinging and prying at the shard in its eye. I start ripping myself from the harsh floor beneath and use what little energy I have to get to the light outside. As soon as I make it outside, my haggard and mutilated body is bathed in light. I collapse to the ground, unsure if I will live, but relieved that I could at least die as myself, instead of being part of some foreign legion. I finally gain the strength to open my eyes, but something is wrong. My body's still merging with the ground into my horror. I see before me a garden of meat. Fields of bodies transformed into stationary flora and tree-like abominations. I've been resting too long as half my body from the floor up has sealed my flesh. 
I'm filled with a strange ease as I feel my body and mind slowly intertwine with the living soil beneath. Strangely enough, it was like the land itself was speaking to me on a molecular level. A strange sensation overcame me. It was relief, forgiveness, demand, knowledge, so much knowledge, it didn't make sense. I feel that it's not compatible with my own understanding, but simply to be there when I'm able to put together the pieces. I hear strange noises coming from the doorway behind me. It was that same muffled shriek from earlier. The gorger, that beast was coming back. It was in pain, but in a better place than me. And it looked hungry. It makes its way outside. Locked onto me, he grabs the edge of my head and rips me off the ground. My whole body feels on fire. I can see my own bare muscles and fat from where I was forcibly separated. As it examines me, probably thinking how it wants to inflict as much pain on me as I stabbed into it. The gorger reels its arms back for a strike and some strange fight or flight instinct comes out of me. My fingers start changing and before I look to see what they're doing, I jam them into its smaller remaining eyes. Even stranger, something is leaving me. A dark, greenish-yellow fluid shoots from my fingers, destroying the beast from the inside out. Its muffled shrieks meant no symphony. As my hands start to break through the skull, making mush out of its hideous face. I didn't stop there. I couldn't. I was hungry too, and my body seemed to know it better than I did. My fingers started sucking the same burning acid back up. Each bit of liquid sustenance that entered my body reacts immediately, healing my gnarled wounds on an impossible level. When satisfied, I rip my newfound claws from the cavity. With this new ability, I had a strange feeling that it had something to do with what the land was telling me when we were connected. I think it did more than just give me instructions. I think it helped me evolve. This place 
wants a new protector. A new god to watch over the garden. You've made it to the end of the line. Unfortunately, the ride stops here. But if you enjoyed the show, make sure to show your love by adding Dr. Hayes on Facebook and YouTube or Dr. Hayes 420 on Instagram to stay updated with upcoming content or just to say hi. We would also like to invite you to follow Tales from the Bud on our favorite podcast app, Anchor. Help us grow on these platforms so we can bring our buds the stories you love more often. We thank you for joining us. Till next time, we'll see you in your most hideous nightmares.